Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter, we're ending Luke chapter 9 this week and going on to chapter 10 soon. And we'll be in verses 51 through 62 this morning. 51 through 62, chapter 9 of Luke. And I'm going to pray as as we turn there. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we ask that your word would be powerful this morning in our lives. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word with faith. We ask that you would help us to understand your word and begin to apply it into our lives. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sit together under your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to fix our attention and our focus and our affections upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the early 1900s, a sea captain named Ernest Shackleton is believed to have placed an ad in a local newspaper looking for sailors. The ad that he placed in the paper drew more than 5,000 men and three women applicants for the trip. This is what the ad said. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. And that's all that the ad said. And he got 5,000, over 5,000 people applied to that ad and three women applied too to the ad. But it's kind of interesting how an ad like this would stir such an excitement in people that they'd want to be a part of the hardship. Well, today in God's Word, as we look at the things that Jesus begins to communicate to the people who are wanting to follow Him, He doesn't always give the nice, soft, easy sell in terms of discipleship. He's not kind of just coaxing people along, hoping that they're going to come with, and just really making it so easy for people. He really gives them a hard truth to swallow. And so this morning, we're going to look at what he has to say. Now, we're going to start in verse 51, though. And in verse 51, there's an inter- this is an interesting verse because this kind of sets the tone for the next ten chapters of the Gospel. Verse 51, we read this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so from here, this kind of ends the section of the Gospel where Jesus is been ministry in Galilee, and he's been, we've been seeing him do a lot of things. He's on the move, he's healing, he's um, raising people from the dead, he's calming storms, he's casting out demons. He's really doing quite a bit of ministry. And from here on out, that ministry doesn't stop, it just takes a little bit different look. And so from here on out, we're going to see a lot more of Jesus' teaching and his parables. We see uh, confrontation with the religious leaders. We also hear about the prodigal son and Zacchaeus and the Good Samaritan, the parables that we've all kind of heard before. We hear a discussion on the end times. But a lot of his teaching from here on out for the next 10 chapters is really based not in necessarily doing things, but in him communicating things about the kingdom of God. And so what is he on his way to Jerusalem for? So he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't take a straight line to Jerusalem. He kind of takes a more circuitous route around to get to Jerusalem. 
But he's going to Jerusalem, what he's talked about in verse 22 of chapter 9, he's going to Jerusalem to die. He's going to Jerusalem to lay his life down, to be arrested, rejected, to be killed and raised on the third day. He is on his way to accomplish redemption for humanity. Jesus is on his way to pay the price for our sins. He's on his way to lay his life down for the people who have rejected him. For the very people who in this gospel have turned their backs on Jesus Christ. He is on his way to bring about redemption for those very people. I think for us this is a big thing to keep in mind as we look through the next ten chapters of Luke that he is on his way to accomplish redemption. And there is nothing that's going to stop him. He is on his way. Read verses 52 through 56. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. and They went on to another village. It's helpful for us to understand the, the cultural background of why this was significant. The Samaritans were, were cousins to the Jews, and they, were, they believed that to worship God was not in Jerusalem like the, the rest of the Jewish nation at the temple, but they believed the worship of God was done at a, mount, a mountain called Mount Gerizim. And so there's this conflict over where do we worship God at? So if you remember the woman at the well, we worship God on the mountain, you worship God in Jerusalem. Well, here, the disciples want to pass through the Samaritan village, and they said, look, you're on your way, we disagree with you, there's been conflict, there's actually been violent conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews over this one particular issue. And So they know that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and they do not want anything to do with that. They don't want Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, they want to hinder his work. They don't agree with what the Jews are doing, they don't agree with where they worship. There's been... Years and years and years of bitter conflict, so they reject Jesus. I wonder, as I, as I thought about this this week, what kind of greeting do we give Jesus? Especially when we don't agree with where he's going or what he's doing. Now think about this. I've got a friend of mine, Chuck Pals, who, we, who has preached here before. He was kind of like the godfather of the churches here in, in our area of network of churches. He's just a godly man who loves the Lord with all of his heart. But he was diagnosed with something called MDS, which is basically pre-leukemia. And so he's, he, he's in a very critical stage in his life right now. He's about 70 years of age. And this, this condition that he's had, MDS, could turn into leukemia. And so he's at a place now where they say, look, We've got to start some treatments, whether it be a bone marrow transplant or chemotherapy. And just there's a number of things. His life is not going to be the same as it's been. Things are going to have to change for him. In the midst of this realization that my life is coming to an end, that there is a real serious disease that I have that could turn into leukemia, he says this. He says, I want to draw as close to Jesus as possible to know Him as much as I can with the days that I have remaining. And I think, what, 
what, what an incredible perspective and encouragement for us. His life isn't headed the way that he wants it to. He's not going down the road that he wants to go down. But he says, in spite of this, I want to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. I think that's what he's talking about in this. It is hard when, when, Jesus is, when life is not going the way that we think it should. What do we do? How do we welcome Jesus in those moments? Well, James and John had a response, right? What was their response? They said, look, can we call fire down upon this village? You've got to admire these guys' faith. These guys are great. Okay, look, we're going to call fire down and consume these guys. I mean, that's probably what most of us would say. Like, look, we're traveling with Jesus here, the Savior, the Redeemer, who's, who's going to accomplish redemption for humanity, and you're going to reject him. Well, that's fine. We're going to call fire down upon you and have God consume you. What does Jesus do? What is Jesus' response to the rejection that the Samaritans have given him? He turns and rebukes the disciples. He doesn't turn and rebuke the Samaritans. He turns and rebukes the disciples. See, James and John want to bring vengeance upon the Samaritans, right? They, the Samaritans did them wrong, and therefore we are going to go and bring about vengeance and make right what you, the way you've wronged us. You've rejected us, therefore we will reject you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case. That's not the way. We're never called as believers to bring vengeance upon anybody. That's God's job alone. That's not our job. And so he turns and rebukes the, the disciples for what they want to do. The correct response to this is Jesus' response. It's a response of compassion. It's not a vengeance. It's compassion. Jesus is being rejected, and he doesn't reject back. He doesn't revile back. He doesn't, he doesn't call names. He doesn't, he doesn't go after these guys. He is kind and gracious. That's a challenge for us. When we see things happen around us, our response can be, sometimes is, well, I'm going to get back at you. You've wronged me, now I'm going to wrong you. And that's never the response we're called to give. It's a challenge for us. So, we're going to look now at the cost of following Jesus in verse, in verse um, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus begins to address and confront some very real struggles and objections to discipleship, to following him. And so we're going to look at three different things this morning 
And I want us to just highlight these different aspects of what it means to follow Christ. The three things are this. Number one, the road is difficult. The road to following Christ is difficult. Number two, the call is urgent. The call for us to follow after Christ is an urgent call. And number three, the commitment is exclusive. The commitment to follow Christ is an exclusive commitment to Him. So we're going to look at these three different guys and their responses to what Jesus Christ is doing. So number one, the road is difficult. And I've given names to each one of these three guys that Jesus encounters on the road, so hopefully this helps you remember what's going on. I call this guy Clueless Claude, okay? The road is difficult, and the guy's name is Clueless Claude. And he says, I'll follow you wherever you go, right? This is a good, this is a good response. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus says this, basically, look, I have been rejected my whole life. I don't have a place to sleep. And if you want to follow me, you can bet that the same is going to happen to you. This is a hard road to follow. And sitting here in North America, in our area, in the churches we go to, it's hard to know of this kind of persecution. But it's happening all over the world. In these countries that we pray for, week after week, there are people who are imprisoned for the name of Jesus Christ. There are people who are murdered and killed because of the profession of faith. There are families that are being torn apart Offer the name of Jesus Christ. But this is a real, this is a reality for the people to follow after Jesus. I think about this past week, this whole Chick-fil-A thing with just, I'm not going to talk about the Chick-fil-A thing. I'm sure you guys have heard enough about it. But it's interesting how, how someone can come out and say, I believe in the biblical definition of marriage, and I believe this is what it is. And there can be such an uproar and such almost just a disgust with that kind of viewpoint. So much so that mayors of, of Boston and Chicago here and in San Francisco can, can come out and say, we don't want you in our cities. We are going to reject you and the viewpoint that you hold and the company that you represent because of, because of what you believe. It's interesting to see that because I think, although we think, okay, the, the, that kind of persecution is a far way off for a lot of people, it's not going to be that long to when you begin to say your biblical convictions and people are going to look at you like you are, you are an idiot. You are a fool. You are, you are archaic. You've got to, you know, welcome to, welcome to today. You are so out of touch. And those kinds of convictions, well, you will be scorned at and laughed at and rejected because of those convictions. That's not a far way off. That is not a far way off. But today, we as believers need to follow after Christ with the kind of conviction that in the face of rejection that we will be able to follow after Jesus Christ. James Boyce writes this, It is true that Jesus may never ask us to break with our families for his sake or sell all that we have and give to the poor in order to follow him. Indeed, in the great majority of cases, this is not required at all. But, but, we must be willing to obey in these or in any other areas if Jesus asks it. And we must actually do it if he does. 
I was thinking back to when I was at a gas station not too long ago, and a guy came up to me and asked me for some money. And it's always like, okay, what do you need? Gas, how much, you know, how much money can I give you to fill up your tank? That's just a lot of money. And I felt at that moment like I need to give this guy some money. So I get a guy 10 bucks, right? And I'm like, 10 bucks for this guy to get some gas. He gets like three gallons, not even three gallons of gas or whatever right now. But, you know, hopefully that gets him where he needs to go. But in giving, I was like, uh, I wanted to tell the guy, like, look, I'm going to give you $10, okay, for you to get a couple gallons of gas. Because I'm giving you $10, I'm not going to be able to take my kid to Dairy Queen today, okay? I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that I'm not going to be able to do some fun stuff with my kids because you, you're going to go buy two and a half gallons of gas, okay? I didn't say that, but I felt that way. It was inclination inside of, I think, of each one of us when, when we realize the cost to follow Christ. It's like, oh, but it just, it is costly. And I don't want to give up that $10. It only really go with my son to Dairy Queen. And now I can't do that because I gave this guy 10 bucks. Michelle and I are taking classes to be foster parents. And we realize that going into to doing this, there com- it comes with a cost. And so with us having four children, busy life at church and other things, we look at this and say there's a, there's a reality that this is going to be costly. But yet we feel like God is calling us to do this. And so we're going to follow through. And we've already taken some classes. We've got more classes to take. But what it means for us is it, it means giving up more of the, the, the little free time that we do have. It means maybe on a date night for us having to go to sit in on a, a four-hour class to learn about fostering instead of going out and having a good time on a date. There's a lot of costs associated with, let alone when we, when we actually we have the opportunity to get a child to care for them. There'll be costs associated with that. We can't pretend like following Christ is going to be easy and simple with an easy paved road. There'll be no bumps. Jesus is making it plain that the people are rejecting me. And Jesus has experienced rejection his entire life. His entire ministry, there's been rejection. And those people who follow after Christ will experience that same kind of hardship and rejection. Some of you sitting here this afternoon are sitting on something that God has asked you to do. But you've counted the cost and you said, this is too hard. This is too difficult. And I want to challenge you this morning. Follow after Christ. Don't sit on it any longer. Maybe it's fostering. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with a co-worker. And it's going to come at the cost of maybe your other co-workers thinking you're a little bit weird or you're that religious guy, or you're a Bible beater. Maybe it's like Dwayne and Penny saying, hey, we're going to have a lemonade stand. We're going to go share what we have with some people who, are, who need food. But God has asked you to do it, and you've been sitting on it. And I want to challenge you today. What is that? What is God calling you specifically to do that you've been sitting on? That you've counted the cost, it's been too hard, It's been too difficult. J.C. Ryle writes this. Let us tell them. He's talking about young people in inquirers. He says, let us tell them plainly that there is a crown of glory at the end. So amen to that. There's a crown of glory at the end. But let us tell them no less plainly that there is a daily cross on the way. 
There is a crown of glory that awaits us in heaven with our Father in glory. But along that path, there is a cross to bear that each one of us as we follow Christ must bear. So why would we, why would we be willing at such a cost to follow Christ? Why would anyone be willing to do this? If it's so costly, if, it, if it's going to cost us our reputation and it may cost us financially and it may cost us our, our friendships with people and it may cost us our time and our, our, our free time and our energy and lack, loss of sleep and, and all this other stuff, why would we do this? Because it's all in the company that we keep. Because we're where we are with Jesus. Because we're with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. That He becomes to us our portion. He becomes to us our everything. That along the way, that as all these other things come to crowd in our life, all these other things come to keep us away from Jesus, that He Himself would be our portion. Because we are following along with Him. That we are bearing our cross with Jesus. That we're not alone. We're not just doing this because we want to show everyone else how strong we are or how committed we are or how great we are. That we actually get to be with Jesus. Number two, the call is urgent. And this guy named Tombstone Timmy. Tombstone Timmy. The call is urgent. So another, so Jesus, in, in terms of God, the guy following Jesus, Jesus actually calls this guy to come follow him. Instead of the guy calling out to Jesus like the other two guys did, Jesus calls this guy to come follow him. And the guy says, wait, hold on a second. Let me go bury my father. And this was a legitimate request. This wasn't like he was asking to do something sinful or just something that's kind of like, yeah, whatever, you can do that later. This was a request that was completely legitimate. And actually, the Jews counted proper burial as something that was of vast importance. So the duty of burial took precedence over the study of the law, over the temple service, over the killing of the Passover sacrifice, over the observance of, of circumcision. This, this duty to bury your parents was something that was very, very important. And Jesus calls out to this guy, and this guy answers Jesus with an excuse of why he cannot follow after him. And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, this has been all of us at some point or another. We've given excuses. I can get, I'll do that later. We'll, 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 I'll get to that. Dad, don't worry, it's in my calendar. That's something that's important. But what Jesus has to say is, he says this, the call is right now and not later. The call is right now and not later. This call is urgent. And the same call goes forth in every generation. The call to follow after Jesus Christ. And the call to follow after Jesus Christ in every generation has been met with people that said, Yes, Lord, I will do whatever you've called me to do and follow after Him. But it's also been met by excuses. And I want us so badly as a church that we would not be a church that would hear the call of God in our lives, the call to minister and care and bless and represent Jesus Christ to people, that we would not be a church that would hear that call and say, I'll get to it later. There's some really important things I have to do, and then I'll get to it. But we would hear the call of God and respond with a sense of urgency, 
because we don't know if that call ever comes again. And for this guy, we don't know if that call ever came his way again. And we do this so often. I'm too tired, too busy. I don't want to give it up. It's too hard. I don't like it. I don't feel like it. There's a million reasons why this urgent call can be denied. And some of them are legitimate needs. Hey, I've got commitment. This guy had a commitment. He had to bury his dad. Jesus says, look, this call is so urgent for you right now that you need to go and minister the good news of, of who I am to people, that everything else takes second place, that nothing else would hinder this work. And it takes precedence over obligations, over family commitments. It takes a backseat to following after Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be bad things. But if it takes precedence over what Jesus Christ has called us to do, Jesus calls us to reject that and follow after him with all of our hearts. We get so busy that we miss out on ministering to people. I think about my own life. After church on Sunday, I don't don't know if anyone can testify to this, you get hungry. It's lunchtime. I'm starving. And so often for me, it's like, okay, i got to get out the door, i got to go home and get something to eat so bad because I'm starving. And if something is, is legitimate as hunger is, it can prevent us from the ministry of the gospel to people. And I want to challenge some of you in this church that there are opportunities to minister to people that we forfeit because we have other seemingly legitimate needs in our lives, like eating, a legitimate need. But if that takes precedence over the ministry of the gospel, we need to surrender that to the Lord. Because the call is urgent. You may never have that opportunity again to minister the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to another person. That person may walk out of those doors and never come back again. The call that Jesus Christ has put on each one of our lives is an urgent call. We're going to go into the basketball camp this week. We're going to spend the next three days with 100 or 120 grade schoolers, and we're going to have a great time doing it. But some of those kids are going to walk out of those doors on Wednesday afternoon, and we'll never see those kids again. And the call to minister the good news of Jesus Christ, it is an urgent call. It is not a call that we'll get to later. I want to encourage you, surrender those things to Jesus Christ. How, when Jesus calls, how will you respond? Will Christ's call be met with an excuse? Let it not be said of us as believers as Christians, as brothers and sisters, that we would hear the call of Jesus Christ and go forth to do what he's asked us to do. Number three, the commitment is exclusive. The third guy here, call him Homeboy Harry. The commitment is exclusive. So this guy says to Jesus, right, hey, I'll come follow you, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This too is a legitimate request, right? I mean, he wants to say goodbye, kind of take care of any, you know, type any loose ends. He, he's got family and friends he wants to say goodbye to. It's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it, it reminds me of when Elisha and Elijah, back in 1 Kings, when Elijah went, the prophet Elijah went to Elisha, who was plowing his field. He went and threw his cloak over him and said, hey, I want you to come follow me and really be the next prophet of Israel. And Elisha says to Elijah, hey, let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. 
And Elijah says, no problem, go for it. So he does. And so this guy has the same request of Jesus Christ. He says, look, this is, a, this is an okay request. Look, can I go back and say goodbye to my family? But Jesus denies the request because of the urgency of the call and how this call is exclusive. This call to follow Jesus is exclusive. It takes priority over the tasks at hand. It takes priority over anything else in our lives. It's more important. This is the totality of discipleship. We are called to fix our eyes upon Jesus and never take them off. We are called to follow after Jesus, never turning to the right or to the left. We are called to exclusively follow after Jesus Christ with all of our hearts, never looking back, never turning. And we're called to live in a world that is radically opposed to anything that has to do with Jesus Christ, that is radically opposed to the message of Jesus Christ. We are called to follow Jesus exclusively. Ten, almost 10 years ago, when, when Michelle and I, when I had the privilege to marry my wonderful bride, Michelle, it was a glorious day. And when we, when we shared our vows and we got married together, I not only said yes to Michelle, and she said yes to me, but we said no to everything else that would come between us. Anything or any person that would come between us, we said no to. In the same way, when we commit to following after Christ, we say yes to Jesus, and we say no to anything that would come in the way of us following after Jesus Christ. It is an exclusive commitment. It is a yes and a no. It's a yes to Jesus and a no to everything else. And it doesn't just kind of get lumped in with the rest of our lives. Sure, we're, we're husbands, we're dads, we're we're soccer coaches, we're Christians, we're board members, we're softball players, we're, we work at BP, we lead worship, we do all kinds of stuff in our lives. And this calling isn't like the rest of those callings. This calling is exclusive. It takes priority over everything else. It takes precedence over everything. Discipleship is not merely another commitment which we add to the long list of other commitments, but it is the commitment, demanding a reordering of our lives from the bottom up. These astonishing pronouncements confront each disciple with a choice, one that is focused exclusively on Jesus himself. Follow him at a high cost or do not follow him at all. No explanations for the demands are given and there is no attempt at persuasion in light of the cost. What's interesting is I read this passage of Scripture, these three guys that come and say, hey, we're going to follow after you, Jesus. That Jesus doesn't try any kind of persuasion, like, oh, hold on a second, buddy, hold on a second. Hey, you know what? I'm going to kind of be passing back this way again in a couple weeks. Why don't you take care of business at home and we can kind of meet up again? Or he doesn't say, look, look, hey, look, you know what? Why don't I just go heal your dad and then, you know, I'll raise him from the dead and then you don't have to worry about burying him. Then you can come follow me. Jesus just gives an exclusive call to someone and says, follow after me, period. And it's, it is a hard call, but it is an urgent call. It is a call that we have to reorder our lives with. It will cost us greatly, but yet it is the call of God in our lives. I want to challenge some of you men to this morning. 
instead of your wife dragging you to church, for you to lead the family in a commitment to righteousness, following after the Lord. Instead of being the last one to get up in the morning and trying to get home as quick as you can, be the man of God who will follow after the Lord with all of your heart. That sets the example for your children and your wife of what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. Ladies, maybe you need to get off Facebook, spend some time praying for your lazy husband instead of complaining about him. There's a real urgent call for us to follow after Christ. It looks different for each one of us. I want to wrap, wrap up with saying this. If we were to write an ad in the paper, what would it look like for us as believers? So you remember Shackleton's ad in the paper. What would it look like for believers? I think it would say something like this. All are welcome for a difficult journey, little to no recognition, long days and nights of service, constant assault from the world the flesh, and the devil. You must deny yourself and carry a cross. Some will be called to faraway places and others even to death. And in the end, a crown of glory awaits. Our hope is not in a life of ease and comfort. Our hope is that we are traveling with Jesus Christ. Our hope is Jesus Christ himself that we would be with Jesus, that we would journey with Jesus. And at the end of all of it, there's a crown of glory that awaits us as we spend eternity with our Father. There's no persuasion given, just a clear call to follow Jesus in light of the demanding costs. You know, I can read this and I can say, well, maybe I see myself in one of the three. Or maybe, you know what, maybe two of the three. I think as we read this, I see myself in all three of these people. I see myself as one who, at times, God has spoken to and said, you know what, that is too costly. I think for us, even with the the whole fostering thing, I sat on that for a while. I weighed up the cost and said, it's going to be too costly. And it's interesting, the people that have talked to us about fostering and said, hey, look, what are you doing? Most people are like, hey, it's going to be too costly. Man, you don't have any free time as it is. Man, it, what about this? What about It all comes down to the cost. What's interesting is no one's asked me, well, what has God asked you to do? I think that's the question. The question isn't, what's it going to cost? But the question is, what is God calling you to do? And the God is calling us to follow after Him in spite of the cost. So maybe for you, It's beginning to act on something God's called you to do. Do we need to stop making excuses? Maybe we need to reorder our commitments. Maybe in light of what God is saying to us, we need to reorder our lives. That the free time we have, or the hobbies that we keep, or the way we spend our our nights, our evenings, our mornings, we need to reorder these things. Prioritize the things of the Lord. Do you sense an urgency in the call? And how will you respond? There is an urgency in this call that we need to respond to. And I, I so badly want for us as a church, I so badly want for us, I want for this for my own life, to hear the call of God and not sit down and say, I'll get to it later, but respond with a sense of urgency that demands obedience. And so 
we come before the Lord today. The good news is, the good news is, is that Jesus Christ and His mercy and His grace continues to call us out and continues to call us to Himself because, because we can see ourselves in each one of these three guys. But yet Jesus Christ, knowing that, has died for us still, has given His life for people who are procrastinators, people who are disobedient, people who don't sense an urgency, people who have heard the call and have turned away. Jesus Christ died for us knowing that we would do those things. And he loved us still. And he reminds us today to follow after him with all of our hearts because he's made a way for us to know him and love him in spite of our weakness, in spite of our laziness, in spite of us forgetting or putting off what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that the very things that you have called each one of us to do, whether it's minister in our home, to our neighbors, at church, at work, at the softball field, God, wherever that would be, Lord, we would respond with an urgent obedience. And God, we thank you that you call each one of us again and again and again. Or that we can sit here today and have hope knowing that you've died for the disobedient of which we all were. And that we could find grace and forgiveness in you. And Lord, that we can continue on our life following after you, knowing you, traveling with you. And we thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.